If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite your attention to the Gospel of Matthew, the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, verses 16 through 18. And as you know, we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, following the theme of how to live according to Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount, of course, preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived, the greatest sermon that has ever been preached, recorded in the greatest book that has ever been written, God's Holy Word. And we've been looking at various subjects and items of interest as we've worked our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And today we've come to verse 16 in chapter 6, talking about fasting and what Jesus had to say about fasting. Uh, so let's uh, look, please, at uh, chapter 6, uh, verses 1 and through 18. As you notice from the Sermon uh, on the Mount, the sermons that we've preached before, there are three major ideas that he's been discussing. Uh, first, uh, in verse 2, about uh, giving to the poor. Sometimes the word alms is used. But he's talking about people who give to the poor or give uh, to those who are in need. And then, of course, down in verse 5, he begins talking about praying and how we are to seek the Lord's face and pray. And now we're talking about fasting. And you'll notice also that he says about giving, he says, when you give, not if you give, but when you give. And you'll notice in verse 5, again, he doesn't say if you pray, he says when you pray. So the Lord is expecting us that we, when we have the opportunity to relieve the discomfort of those who are less fortunate than ourselves, then that we give it whatever we can to them. And that when we pray, we have the opportunity to pray that we do so in a way that would be honoring to him as well. Again, it's not if you pray, but when you pray. And so our Lord in the context of all of this is talking about hypocrisy that when you give to people, don't do it in order to be seen of men. When you pray, don't do it in order to be seen of men so that they can pack you on the back and praise you and honor you and recognize you. Oh, what a wonderful person you are, how spiritual you are. No, he says, don't be that way. When you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Let it, the Lord see it. He will reward you in due time. And when you pray, don't stand on the street corners uh, and in public, in the temple, and pray in order to be seen of men. Uh, do it in private and go to your closet, not literally your closet because you might get claustrophobic. <laughs> so what he means is just close the door and be by yourself, nobody but you and the Lord. And there in secrecy, you pour your heart out to God. You're talking to your best friend. You're talking to the Lord God Almighty. He loves you. He cares about you. What is of a concern to you is a concern to him. And so you just pour your heart out unto the Lord. And he who sees in secrecy will reward you accordingly in public. Now he comes to the subject of fasting. And so when you fast, don't be a hypocrite. Don't do it in the eyes of men so that they can praise you and honor you and say, oh, look at him. He's uh, such a saintly person. He's such a pious individual. No, when it comes time to fasting, you let it be again in secrecy just between you and the Lord. So look at it in verse 16. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. 
Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. You ever seen the expression paid in full? Maybe you've got a, a, a debt that you've been paying on and you make that final debt and they stamp across there paid in full. And so the Lord is saying, when you do this in front of men and they praise you and recognize you and honor you, you're getting the only reward that you're ever going to get. And it's going to be paid in full and you'll never experience receiving the reward that the Lord would have given you. Verse 17, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Well, in a fast food world, fasting seems to be a bit out of uh, dated. It's an Old Testament antique left over from the Old Testament days reserved exclusively for the Old Testament prophets, hardly applicable to uh, modern day believers. Well, is there any value in fasting? Is there something that you and I can attain uh, without uh, having to just uh, go an extra mile, so to speak, and pray? Can you not just ask and receive? Why is the Lord saying when you fast, don't let the hypocrites uh, praise you or don't be a hypocrite, uh, you, you do it genuinely? Well, I do believe that there is something that is beneficial to us if we would spend time not only praying but also fasting. Oftentimes in the Bible, praying and fasting go together. I am reminded of an illustration used by Tony Evans, who is the pastor of the Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, where he says, you may know, of course, and be aware of the athletic world, especially in the field and track events, uh, there are two kind of high jumpers, he says. He reminds us of that. There is the hijacker who uh, has a bar there that he uh, tries to clear. It's about seven feet high. And uh, he backs up and he runs as fast as he can and throws his body over that bar. Uh, that's, that's one way of clearing the bar. But there is another hijacker that he talks about, and it's the the pole vaulter. The pole vaulter uh, doesn't clear a seven foot bar. Uh, he looks to clear an 18 feet bar. And so he backs up and he holds this pole in his hands and he looks down the runway, the track that he is on and he starts running. And when he gets at the proper place, he, he puts the pole down in the hole that's there and puts all of his weight on that pole and it throws his body 18 feet in the air and hopefully he can clear that bar. And uh, Evans goes on to say, well, you know, in prayer, uh, we all have a bar that we're trying to clear. It may be some kind of a problem, some kind of issue, some kind of major concern that we have and we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed and we don't seem to be able to clear the bar. We've been jumping for two feet and three feet and five feet and we just never seem to be able to clear the seven foot bar, let alone the 18 foot bar. And so he is saying if you put fasting with your prayers that you will receive a power that will enable you to clear whatever that bar is that you've been trying to clear for the many years that you've been praying to God. So today, as you see in your outline, there are several things that we want to follow as we think about what Jesus had to say about 
fasting. And the first thing that I want to point out to you is that Jesus is saying that fasting should be a private matter, a private matter just between you and the Lord. And so he says in verse 16, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearances so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. So he is saying, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be two-faced. Don't be a pretender. Don't act out that you are pious and holy. You get the accolades of, of, the, of the world and of men. Uh, you'll have the only reward that you will receive. You do what you do in privacy, just between you and the Lord. When you close that door and you shut out the rest of the world, it's just you and me, and you pray and you fast, and hopefully with the power that you receive from him, you'll be able to clear whatever the bar of concern is that you might have. But when you pray to the Lord and when you fast, there are some requirements. James talks about this in the fourth chapter of his epistle. He says that God gives grace for us to stand up against the evil desires. And he says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's, that's kind of a formula, you might say. Whenever you are tempted and the devil tempts you to commit sin, the order is, first of all, submit yourself to the Lord then resist the devil, and then he must flee from you. So don't ever try to resist the temptation that the devil places in front of you on your own initiative, on your own strength. First of all, you submit to God. And when you submit to God, then when you get right with the Lord and you have his power and his strength, you resist the devil, you say no to temptation, and therefore the devil has to leave you. But notice in verse 8 he says, Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And, and uh, let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. So he's not saying in this passage of scripture that you first have to wash your hands and purify your heart on the inside. No, it's just that when you approach the Lord, you do so humbly. You realize that you, although you're invited to come before his throne of grace with confidence or boldness, that you are unworthy to do so, and you humble yourself before the Lord, you confess to him your sins, confess to him that you are a sinner, make sure that your hands are clean and your heart is clean before the Lord, and if you confess your sins to the Lord, he will forgive you, he will cleanse you, he will purify you, and then you can lay before him whatever the desire might be that you're requesting of him to give to you. Now, Jesus is not condemning fasting. He's simply condemning the hypocrisy that oftentimes was connected with that. You may recall in the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus told a story a parable about a man, a Pharisee and a publican, two of them, who went to the temple to pray. And in verses 11 and 12 of Luke 18, the Bible says the Pharisee stood and was praying to himself. Although he does address God because it says the next words are, God, I thank you, but he was praying to himself. The Bible makes that very clear. Maybe he thought he himself was the Lord. I don't know. It says the Pharisee stood and was praying to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, 
like swindlers or people who are unjust or adulterers, and then pointing to the tax collector, the publican who was next to him, I'm not even like that guy over there. And the next thing he says is, I fast twice a week. Well, how commendable. Pat you on the back. You're a good boy. <laughs> fast twice a week. See, they've added to that. They fasted twice a week on Mondays and on Thursday, the commentaries tell us. And so our text speaks of two ways the religious leaders were trying to uh, wrongly fast, had to do with their countenance and had to do with their cosmetics. Look at it in verse 16, if you would. It says, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. I like the way the other translations render this expression. The New Living Translation, for example, says, they try to look miserable. <laughs> Not difficult for some people, I know. <laughs> the Amplified Bible says, do not look gloomy and sour and dreary like the hypocrites, for they put on a dismal countenance. The J.B. Phillips paraphrase says, don't look like those miserable play actors. And so they were just kind of putting on an act. That's why they were called hypocrites. The word hypocrites mean two-faced. It was used of an actor who would be one actor playing several roles. And when it came time for him to change the role of another character, he had put another mask in front of his face. So it'd be two-faced. And so Jesus is saying, don't be a two-faced person when it comes to praying and to fasting. Don't let your countenance convey to other people that you're going through a period of fasting. But notice the second thing, not only cosmetic, uh, uh, countenance, but the cosmetics, because it says also in verse 16, they neglect their appearances. They neglect their appearances. The New International Version says they disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting. Another translation says they deliberately disfigure their faces. Now, this doesn't mean that they twist their faces and make their, an ugly expression, no. It just means that uh, they, they put on makeup, maybe. They, they put on some kind of disguise to give the appearance to those who see them. Oh, that person is going through a, a, a praying and a fasting period of time, and, and it's indicated by look how they're dressed, look what kind of makeup they put on. They're just, they're just play acting. I like uh, old classical movies, and maybe you watch the Turner classical movies. If you do, you may be aware of a, of a man who was an actor back in the late 1800s and early 1900s by the name of Lon Chaney. Lon Chaney uh, uh, was known for his ability. Uh, he had a, a box of cosmetics, uh, and he could take those cosmetics and he could uh, transfigure his face. Uh, he played in such uh, uh, movies as the, the Phantom of the Opera, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, back in those early days when those movies were made. And he could uh, use that cosmetics to, uh, to transfigure and transform the expression of his face. Because of his ability to do that, he earned the nickname, A Man of a Thousand Faces. And Jesus is saying, when you fast, don't let other people know it by the way you dress and by the way you decorate your face and the expressions that you give and the impression that you give to other people that you are doing this. Let it be a private matter between you and the Lord. 
Notice the second thing. Not only fasting could be a private manner between you and God, but fasting should include time spent in prayer and Bible reading. What do you do when you fast? Well, uh, the only difference in praying is that when you're fasting, you go without food. And sometimes you go without a liquid as well. And there are certain times, you know, in the Bible, uh, people who fasted, and we're going to look at some of the examples in just a moment, of people who fasted. Uh, sometimes uh, they would fast for one day. Uh, sometimes the Bible says of an individual that he fasted for three days. We know from the book of Matthew chapter 4 that our Lord went out into the wilderness driven by the Holy Spirit, but he fasted for 40 days. I, I think whatever period of time you would choose to fast, be careful about your health. If you have a health issue, you may want to be careful with that and, and not uh, put yourself under a strain or a stress that would cause you additional health issues. The Lord would not want you to do that. You can pray for half a day, you can pray for a whole day or two days, whatever the Lord would guide you to do that. But whatever time you would set aside to pray, and I'm not talking about, I'm talking about your being a serious prayer warrior. There's nothing wrong with saying a prayer that lasts for 30 seconds or for a minute or a couple of minutes. We're talking about someone who would spend an hour praying to the Lord. And you say, well, my goodness, uh, I don't know that much to pray about it. Well. Uh, we, we have some things that can help you do that, dividing that hour up in five minutes and praying for various things uh, that, that you could uh, pray for in an hour's time. Maybe, maybe there is a concern that you have uh, that you need to spend two hours or three hours or maybe a half a day and that you would just close yourself off from the world and from the family and from everything else and you would devote yourself to nothing more than just spending time before the throne of grace. Sometimes you just be quiet you know, sometimes we just yak all the time in our prayers. Never give the Lord a chance to speak to us. Prayer is not a one-way conversation. It's a two-way conversation. Two ways to communicate. I share with the Lord, but the Lord also shares with me. If I'll sit, sit still and be quiet before the Lord and listen to his voice, God will speak to us. Just like little Samuel, even as a child. He could hear the voice of the Lord speaking to him. And finally, Eli says after the third time, he says, you go back and you lay down and you be still and you be quiet and you listen to the voice of God. And when he speaks to you, you say, here am I, I am your servant. What is it that you want of me? And sometimes I think that we need to do just that. Whatever the concern is that's bothering you, the burden that you're carrying, the issue that you're dealing with, just sit before the Lord and worship him and honor him and be quiet and let him speak to your heart. He will, if you will be still, God will speak. And so you spend time just being quiet before the Lord, taking a passage of scripture, reading it, maybe a whole chapter out of a book and reading it before the Lord, praying back the scripture to him, listening to him as he responds, laying before him the request that you might have. There's a sad, sad story to me in the book of 2 Kings chapter 22 and chapter 23 where the word of the Lord, the law book of God, the book of law was lost. And do you know where it was lost? In the temple, in the temple, the kings had misled the nation to commit sin and the temple had fallen into uh, disgrace and, and had uh, become torn down and it was just in rubbles. Uh, but the good king Josiah decided to 
rebuild the temple and he sent a cleaning crew in there to clean out all of the debris. And as they were moving all of the debris out of the, they found a book. And it uh, was the, the book of law. It was the word of God. And they began reading it. And they took it to the king and they read it to the king. And it says that the king, when he heard the word of God being read, tore his garments in grief and declared a fast among the nations and for the word of God, the law of the Lord, to be read before the whole nation of, the, of Israel. And, and so God's word could be read and it will transform your life if you will let it. In the passages that I've given you here in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius is praying and the Lord speaks to Cornelius as he reads the word of the Lord and as he prays and the Lord gives him directions on, on what he is to do uh, and, and God answered that. The same thing happens at the church at Antioch when the people would fast and pray. So when you, when you fast and when you pray, you take God's word with you and you sit quietly before the Lord and you read and you pray and you listen for God to respond. The third thing is fasting includes confession and repentance of sin. In Psalm 69 in verse 5, the New Living Translation says, Oh God, you know how foolish I am. My sins cannot be hidden from you. So you cannot hide your sins from the Lord. You can from one another. You can hide your sins from me. I can hide my sins from you. You'll never know what I do when I sin, nor you. I won't know what you do, but the God does. You can pull the shade down and keep the world out, but you can't keep God out. You remind, uh, I remind you of the story of, of uh, Hagar. You remember the, the maid, Sarah's maid, uh, Abraham jumping ahead of the Lord's will and, and couldn't have a child by Sarah after God had promised that he would have a child and, and years had passed as no child had come. They weren't able to have the child. And so Sarah says, well, here's my maidservant. You go into her and have a child by her. And he does that, disobeying the Lord. But he enabled her to have a child. Uh, Sarah becomes very jealous uh, of, of uh, what has happened to her and uh, puts the pressure on Abraham. And he yields to her demands and wishes. And so he sends Hagar away with the child. She goes out into the desert. There's no water. There's no food She's dying of starvation and of thirst. The child is dying. She leaves the child over in one area. She can't stand to see him suffering. She goes over to another area and, and, the, and the Lord looks at her and he says, what are you doing out here? And he blesses her and he says, take the child and go back. And you know what Hagar's response was? God has seen me. He is the God who sees. God sees you. God sees you and you and you and me. Even though we are in prophecy, you cannot hide from God. You, you can go to the farthest corners of the world, but you can't get away from the presence of the Lord. You can close your activities out from the rest of the world, but God sees what's going on in your heart. God knows what's going on in your mind. God sees you when you do what you do. He is the God who sees. And if you will pray to the Lord and if you will confess your sins to the Lord and admit to him that you are a sinner, even though you are already a believer and you're already a Christian, you still sin. And I've shared with you the verse of scripture before that says if you harbor sin in your heart, God will not hear your prayers. 
And to harbor your sin in your heart means that you love for it to be there. You may have confessed all of your other sin, but you have a little pet sin that you care to have and you keep it in the back corners of your heart and every once in a while you let it come out and you pamper it and you nurture it and, 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 and you, you like for it to be there and then you tuck it away. And as long as you harbor sin in your heart, God cannot, will not hear your prayers. And so certainly your time with the Lord should be a time when you confess your sins and repent to the Lord. In the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, this is what the Bible says. And yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. That was a practice that when, uh, when they were grieved, uh, they would indicate their grievance. They'd take their garments and they'd rip them apart. They'd tear their garments. And the Lord is saying, you don't need to tear your garments. What you need to tear is your heart. You need to be broken about your sins. When was the last time that you cried about your sins? That you were so disturbed of the sin that you have committed, that you've broken the heart of God, it ought to break your heart too. And so the Lord has said, instead of tearing your clothes, tear your heart and weep and wail and mourn before God and confess your sins and they will be forgiven. Notice the fourth thing, fasting to gain victory over temptation. And the primary example of this, of course, is our Lord. Recorded in the fourth chapter of Matthew in the first two verses, the scripture says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Notice that it was the spirit that led him, not drove him, but led him. And so it was in God's plan and purpose for our Lord to be subjected to temptation. And so the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness for the purpose of being tempted by the devil. And it says in verse two, and after he had done what? Fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And then that's when the devil came and began to tempt him to do those three temptations that are recorded in the fourth chapter of Matthew. So Jesus was tempted and he fasted and he prayed. I don't know what all our Lord did out there for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, maybe when we get to heaven and we see the Lord and have time to fellowship with the Lord, we can talk to him about it. Well, what do you do for 40 days out in the wilderness? Well, he didn't eat, didn't eat a thing. He fasted for 40 days. I know of some people who've tried to fast for 40 days. It's almost an impossible task, humanly speaking. It's difficult to do that. It's hard to go through a day without eating or a week without eating, but you think about not just 10 days or 20 days, but for 40 days, not one bite of food to enter your mouth, not one, one, one liquid, one drop of water or anything. You fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And that's what the Lord did. And the devil came to him and tempted him. Are you tempted? Why, sure you are. Every day of your life, you and I, we're all tempted to, to do things that we should not do. The devil wants us to do his way or our way rather than God's way. Did you know that doing things your way is a sin before the Lord? That's what the prophecy of Isaiah is all about. He says, we've all sinned. We've all sinned. We, we've done things. Everyone has gone to his own way. The book of Judges talks about those individuals who've done things what they consider to be right in their own eyes. My goodness, if we're ever living in a day at a time when that is so prevalent among our people in America, it is today. 
when everybody says, well, the old things that are in the Bible, that's old fogies, that's just a lot of nonsense. Everybody does what they want to do within their own sight. And you see our nation crumbling as it is right before our very eyes. And so the Lord is tempted and the devil will tempt us, but oh, there is victory if we will pray and if we will fast. Whatever the pet temptation that you have, you turn it over to the Lord and you let him help you to overcome those things. Now, the fifth thing that I want to share with you is fasting offers an opportunity to seek God's will in important matters. And I've listed there for you, I just went through the scriptures and found examples of individuals. You know, example sometimes is a lot uh, more beneficial to us than a lot of words. So you say, well, pastor, hurry up and get to the examples then, okay? And you quit talking so much. But examples are wonderful uh, lesson, uh, objects of lessons that we can learn from. And so let me just, I won't go through all of them because there's not enough time. I've just listed them there for you and the scripture references so that maybe in your quiet time, uh, you, you can take these examples and see for yourself how they were tempted or how they fasted and prayed and were able to accomplish certain things. But let me point out uh, a few of these people to you. First of all, Moses. Moses is the first person in the Bible of whom it is said that he fasted. And we are told that he went up into the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. And he was there for 40 days and 40 nights, just like our Lord was. Notice in Exodus 34, 28, it says, And so Moses was there with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread or drink water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant that we know as the Ten Commandments. So he went to spend some time with the Lord, 40 days and 40 nights. Not very many people can go that long in fasting, but he was able to do, I think the Lord enabled him to do that. But for 40 days and 40 nights, he was up in the mountain and there was nobody there but him and God. And no wonder when he came down from the mountaintop that his face glowed radiated from him having been in the presence of the Lord. I've pointed this out to you so many times before. You see this uh, uh, individual here uh, in the second stained glass window. That's Moses holding the Ten Commandments in his right hand. And notice at the top of his head, see the, uh, the, the, the bush that's on fire there at the right of the top of his head. Remember, uh, he drew aside the day that he was a, a shepherd keeping watch over his flock. And he saw this bush that was on fire and he said, well, I'm going to go over there and see what it was. And when he got there, the Lord said, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. And God called him to lead the people of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. But you see the two bars that come to, looks like the letter V that's coming out of the top of his head. Uh, that's the artist's way of, of indicating the rays that radiated from his face. It was his way of showing that his face would glow. Because when Moses came down from the mountains, the people were afraid. Joshua, his right-hand man, was afraid to be around Moses because his face just glowed from having being in the presence of the Lord. Uh, the same thing was said of Stephen, that when they stoned him to death, they said, why, well, his face was like the face of an angel. My dear friend, you cannot spend quality time with God and come out of that experience normal. And you don't have to go and parade it around in front of people and say, oh, look what I have done. Look at what has happened to me. Oh, no. If God wants the other people to know it, you don't have to go around with a, hand, a sign in your hand. Look at me. I'm a wonderful, pious person. No, God will allow the radiance come from your face and people will know it. 
People will know it. And so you spend time with God, it, you'll be surprised at the revelation that you can receive from God when you spend time in praying and fasting before God. Let's skip down to the third person's name, and that's David, King David. He fasted on many occasions. And in 2 Samuel chapter 1, we're told that when he heard the news that King Saul had died and that Jonathan had died, that he fasted and prayed. Verses 11 and 12 says, Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so also did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until the evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the people of the Lord and the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. So David loved Saul. He loved Jonathan. Jonathan was his closest and dearest friend. And when the news came that they had died, he wept, he prayed, he tore his garments, but he also tore his heart. And he prayed and he fasted the rest of the day before the Lord. And then, of course, you know the, the sin of adultery that he committed with Bathsheba. And Nathan pointed his finger in, in, in David's face. And he said, you're the guilty man. You read Psalm 51. It's, it's David's prayer of confession of his sins to the Lord and the joy that he has lost. He didn't lose his salvation. He lost the joy of his salvation. And he prayed to God. And when the child was born... The child didn't live, but while the child uh, was, was suffering, uh, David prayed. And it says in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, David therefore inquired of God for the child. David fasted and went and lay all night on the ground. He didn't go to sleep. It just means that he prostrated himself out on the ground before the God. He humbled himself before the Lord. The elders of the household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground, but he, he was unwilling and would not eat food. From them, And so David arose from down after uh, the child died. They didn't say to, they was afraid to tell him, but he saw that they were whispering among themselves and he came to the conclusion that the child had died. And David asked them, is the child dead? And they said, yes. And so he got up. In verse 20 of 2 Samuel 12, it says, David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. And his servant said to him, what is this that you have done? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me that the child will live. But now he has died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not come back to me. So he fasted and prayed while he could, but God chose not to let the child live and the child died. David realized that it was the will of the Lord and he prayed and he fasted. Now let's go down and just let me, in summary of things, because time is running out here, but Nehemiah, Esther, Jonah, these were individuals who prayed for their country. Nehemiah grieved over the fact that the walls in the city of Jerusalem had been, had been torn down and, and, and he was burdened. He was brokenhearted over that. He prayed and fasted. Esther, you remember, was the queen who went before um, the, the Artaxerxes because uh, uh, Haman, the, the man who hated the Jewish people, uh, was going to trick the king into giving a, a decree that all of the Jews would be put to death. And uh, uh, Mordecai came to her and said, you know, this is what's going to happen. Uh, she, he pled to her, you've got to make an appeal to the king. Now, in those laws, he was, he was a pagan king, 
And no one, no one could go to the king uninvited. The king had to invite that individual or command for him to be brought before him. Otherwise, if you went into the presence of the king without permission, you would be put to death. And so uh, uh, he says, you, you've, got to, you've got to make an appeal to the king. And so she said, well, what I want you to do, and I'll have myself and my handmaids to do the same thing. We're going to fast and we're going to pray for three days. And then at the end of three days after we fasted and prayed, I will go before the king. And if it means that I perish, then I'll perish. But I'll do it for my people. I'll do it for my king. And uh, Jonah, you remember, oh, he hated the people of Nineveh. And he got all, all upset. It says that God called him to, to go to Nineveh and to preach the gospel of salvation. He didn't want to do that. He ran and he was swallowed up by a great fish. And after being in the belly of that great fish for a period of time, the fish vomited him up. He hit the ground running, folks. <laughs> that was enough to be in the belly of a great fish. It wasn't a whale. We, don't know. we think of the whale being the greatest mammal that we know of on the face of the earth, but the Bible doesn't say it was a whale. It was a prepared fish, especially for that purpose. And it spit him out on the, on the beach, and boy, he hit it running toward Nineveh. It says for three days, for three days that he preached the gospel. It doesn't mean that, that he, he, he preached for three days. It, it took him three days. The city of Nineveh was so large, walking, it took him three days to go from one end of the city of Nineveh to reach the other end. That's a big city, folks, when you're walking. And as he walked, he preached the gospel of repentance and of salvation, and, and the people repented. They tore their clothes, they wept, they prayed, they fasted, and God repented of his destruction of, Israel, of the people of Nineveh. Now, let me make some application here, and I guess this is where I'll start meddling and so forth, but I read about Nehemiah and Esther and Jonah and these other people who prayed for their nation, and I think about our nation. And I think about how terrible our, our, the situation, our, our country is deteriorating before our very eyes. Morality, morality uh, politically, uh, uh, the activities of our people and of our leaders is just shameful. Uh, we, we say, oh, God bless America. But I ask you, why should God bless America when America doesn't bless God? And uh, it could be that, that God use 9-11. I don't know about you, but 9-11 still affects me, still affects me. And I know that President Bush at the time meant well when he told the people, you just, you just need to keep going on about your business and, and we'll take care of things. And that's good to have that kind of faith and trust in, in the leaders of our nation, but we don't need to be going about as usual when something like that happens, in my opinion. When 9-11 happened, this church building was filled with people, not only our church members, but people from our community who came and prayed to God. How long did it last? Not long. We went on about our way. We went on about our way. We keep killing babies, aborting them, thousands every day, little babies in their mother's womb, murdered, what else can you say of it? When a child, we, I believe that conception, life begins at conception. 
And, and I may be speaking to, to someone who's had an abortion and, and I'm not trying to make life difficult for you and, and punish you and condemn you. No, that's between you and the Lord. There's forgiveness if you realize that that was a wrong thing to do. And God will understand, God forgive. But boy, our nation continues to murder innocent babies before they've ever had a chance to be born and come out of their mother's womb. No wonder our nation is in the, in the condition, the drugs, the murder, the rapes, the pornography, the abortion. You think about Israel over there now, fighting Hamas. Because, they, you know, they want to live in peace, but Hamas won't. They hate Israel. They hate Israel. And because America supposedly supports Israel, they hate America. They hate the morality of our, of our country. Think about Russia and the Ukraine and the, and the airplane that was shot down out of sky. Innocent people, almost 300 people, have nothing to do with what was going on, and yet they are the victim of the hatred and the, and the, and the people who want to dominate the world because of that. Iraq and Afghanistan and, and the hatred that the Muslims have for America and, and then the threat that Islam is to America and the immigration problem that we have with children coming across the border from Mexico and from South America the religious liberty that we see that is continually being chiseled away and, and our freedom before our very eyes is being taken away from us. The homosexual agenda and the same-sex marriage uh, attempt to change the, the definition of marriage, all of these things that we are dealing with in America today. Folks, we need to draw aside and pray and fast for America because if not, America's days are numbered, numbered. Have you ever wondered why when the Bible talks about the end times and Jesus coming back, America is never mentioned, never mentioned. I don't know why. It may be we won't be in existence. Or it may be that America will be reduced to such a small, insignificant country, it doesn't matter anymore. We're no longer the strongest nation in the world. And our leadership is so pitiful going off fundraising instead of praying and, you know, calling the military advisors together and sitting down in a council room and finding out what we must do. Wouldn't it be a miracle if they said, let's have a prayer time. Let's get on our knees and cry out to God and say, God, we have sinned. Forgive us. Turn us back, Lord, lest we perish. Lest we perish. Oh, is there value in fasting? You bet there is. Well, let me conclude with these things here. When you fast and pray, what are your spiritual objectives? What are you trying to accomplish? That's what you need to decide. Is it your desire to fast coming from God? I mean, are you just doing it to be doing it? Don't fast just because I'm telling you to. Don't fast. You, you, you let God put it on your heart. And you fast because God leads you to, not because of me or somebody else. What are your motives? Are you trying to impress other people? Or are you just doing it between you and, and God? Jesus said, your fasting will be noticed by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus was not condemning fasting. He was just saying, when you fast, make sure you do it for the right reason and for the right cause. And God will see you. You do it in secret. God who sees you in secret will reward you. 
And that reward, that is an assurance. God will. It is impossible for God to lie. He will tell you the truth. And if God says, if you will seek my face, I will respond. I will answer. I will bless. That's a promise from God. And the reward that he gives to you, the Bible doesn't describe what the reward is. But I tell you one thing, it will be far superior to anything that you'll ever get from another man. And it will be the top quality. And it will be eternal. And it will be satisfying. I want to ask you in closing, do you have a bar up there that you're trying to clear? You got a burden you've been praying about for a long time and just can't find a release? Do you have an issue that you're dealing with? Do you have a temptation that you're dealing with and you can't seem to get a victory over it? Maybe you need a pole vault. There's power when you pray and when you fast. Let's bow together. Father God, we humbly bow before you today thanking you and praising you for who you are. Coming before your throne of grace, realizing how unworthy it is for us to even call upon your holy name, but grateful for your invitation. Thanking you for Jesus because of his death on the cross, making it possible for us to have access to you. So as we individually confess our sins to you, Father, we pray that you will cleanse us, forgive us, restore the fellowship that might have been broken between ourselves and you. And once, Father, we are in keeping with your will to grant the request that we lay before you. We thank you for our country. We pray for our leaders, our president, our vice president, for his cabinet members. We pray for our military people who place themselves in harm's way every day. We pray for all of the leaders of our country, not just in Washington, D.C., but here in Texas and here in Nacogdoches. We pray, Father, that you'll speak to the hearts of our leaders. We pray that you'll speak to our hearts as well. May we listen as we search your face and search your will to do it. We pray, Father, that you will have your will, as the model prayer says, may thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when your will is being done in heaven, it's being done perfectly. No questions asked. Total complete obedience by the angels and all who are there. May that same type of commitment be done here on the face of this earth. And as we come to this time of invitation, Holy Spirit of God, speak to our hearts. And should there be one here today who's never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, help them to understand the sins that they have committed can be forgiven and will be forgiven if they will repent and turn to you and ask for forgiveness and accept you as Lord and Savior. If there are Christians here today who are out of fellowship with you, they give the appearance that everything is well and right, but on the inside they know it's different. And whatever it is that they're struggling with and burdened about, may they find relief and forgiveness and cleansing and purification as they confess and restore that fellowship with you. May you be in charge, Holy Spirit, as we come to this invitation, and may the Father's will be done, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.